probably where a Dublin-based company has the freedom to operate in a more competitive way. Now, when you say they have virtually no material impact on your business, is that because you aren't doing some of the earnings stripping that they laid out? And are you concerned that they might come out with more and look at other ways that there could be inversion tactics that are stripped away from some of the tax benefits that you enjoy? Yeah, so the, the, the way they targeted in, uh, earnings stripping in these uh, rules um, doesn't impact uh, our structure. That's not the way we, we, we are structured. That being said, I think it was very difficult for them to do that, and they've acknowledged that there will be some unintended consequences of the rules they, they wrote, but they will not impact Allergan. So my sense is they've really worked hard at Treasury to, to write these rules. My sense is uh, Secretary Liu has already said now it's up to Congress. President Obama has now also said now Congress needs to make their next move. And so I think the hope here is that Congress will do something to make the American tax system more competitive for global companies to operate. Well, whether you are blindsided or not, clearly this is a big smack. Who do you want to give your political dollars to after this? You know, um, I'm not going to endorse a specific candidate, but I, I do want to make sure that the conversation of, of the politicians changes from punishing companies to figuring out how we can make America more competitive. That and would be a much more constructive dialogue. Do you believe what they did here was punishing you? Well, I think they were trying to punish Pfizer. Um, clearly, they, they, they accomplished what they set out to do, which was to break the deal. And uh, both Pfizer and Allergan will be fine. Both have strong, independent plans and strategies, and both will move on and, and focus on those. So um, while they broke the deal, I don't think they, they succeeded in punishing anybody. All right. Well, you know what you are? Jersey strong. Brent Saunders, he is the CEO and president of Allergan, joining us this morning from... Stephanie Roll in uh, Cynthia Coons from Bloomberg News. You've heard her voice with uh, Bloomberg Surveillance uh, many times uh, with an important interview there with Brenton Saunders. He is the chief executive officer of Allergan, as you heard him mention, uh, greatly affiliated with a previous path of Forest Labs. And, of course, Mr. Saunders for years uh, was sharing plow uh, as well. Uh, we look at 930, and in this case 932 after that interview, in a Dow up 15, and that, of course, means the opening bell is always brought to you by the University of North Carolina's Keenan Flagler Business School Master Your Balance Sheet with their world-class Master of Accounting, Executive Development, and MBA programs. Visit unc.edu slash business, unc.edu slash business. So there we are on uh, market opening. Again, the VIX printing. Oh, the VIX goes the other way, showing the uh, confusion out there, 15.60. Someone that looks at this is Kate Warren with Edward Jones Research, and she joins us now in studio. Wonderful to have you in studio. Where are you based? In St. Louis. In St. Louis. That's a good thing to be based in St. Louis. Very interesting because uh, Malincrot was an inversion target headquartered in uh, St. All of the bosses work in St. Louis, but they're, head, they're domiciled in Ireland. It's, a, it's another company just went through this a few yes, years ago. Exactly, before the rules changed. <laughs> yeah, I, I look at the path of our economics, and, of course, you're doing a lot of economic focus for uh, Edward Jones. And I guess the first question I would say is who does Janet Yellen represent? If we look at the Monetary Policy Derby and uh, with Edward Jones with a, a decidedly 
national perspective, a legitimate national perspective. Does Janet Yellen represent the elite? Does Janet Yellen represent the New York plutocracy? Does Janet Yellen represent America? Which is it? I think it's closer to representing America because I think she's trying very hard to be sure the economy continues to grow, and that is her main focus with the Fed's focus on, of course, inflation and jobs. And her concern is getting more people back to work in this environment where inflation stayed reasonably low, and we could debate for how long. But I think that's really America about jobs and trying to be sure that people who are sitting on the sidelines and are out right. of the labor force come back in. Mike, Mike's going down to do the minutes here today. Is this a Fed within the minutes or within the speeches that we hear just looking at two Americas? That's what I think is fascinating. As I understand, she's looking at America, but which one is it? Yes, well, uh, certainly there are other people at the Fed who are more concerned about inflation, more concerned about where we go next, as opposed to making sure that uh, every last worker who's sitting on the sidelines has the opportunity to get a job. And I think that really is a conflict right now. We're likely to see it in the minutes with uh, many more uh, signs of debate, as we've seen with the Fed uh, commentary since then, with the doves and the hawks, basically. Well, certainly the focus at 2 o'clock is going to be on what does this tell us about when the Fed is going to raise interest rates next, and that is the big debate out there. Do you really care? I mean, is it, on a day-to-day basis, uh, does what the Fed minutes is going to tell you going to make any difference to what you invest in? Uh, no, but I think we care more as a result of the Fed saying they're data dependent. And the reason is I think the Fed's actually increased the volatility in the markets as everyone now focuses on the data to try to infer from every indicator uh, whether rate increases are sooner or later and how fast they'll raise rates. So do we care in a broad sense? No, because we actually think people need to own a mix of stocks and bonds and an appropriate mix for their situation, not based on the environment. And that, in that sense, whether the Fed is raising rates sooner or later, what we're really concerned about is that they not be behind the curve, that we not see a huge increase in inflation. And the reason is that's one of the most important risks, biggest risks for long-term investors. So if the Fed gets behind the curve and inflation goes up more than expected, that would actually be bad news for most investors who are putting their money away, hoping that it provides them with a good retirement. Have you changed since December 16th when they raised rates? Have you changed any investments because of that? No. No, we continue to think that uh, rates will go up slowly and steadily. Uh, It doesn't really matter whether it's one or two increases this year or or more than that. We think that investors need to own fixed income because we think that long-term rates, which are more tied to inflation, stay low, and short-term rates have come up a bit, but not enough to make anybody happy about the rates that they're getting on short-term This is so important. I want to reframe this. You're recommending what in bonds for a financially repressed America? So it depends on how comfortable with risk investors are. So we don't have a single recommendation. We have six different portfolio objectives that are really tied to your comfort Mm -hmm. with risk and your time horizon. So for many investors, it's 50% in stocks, 50% in fixed income and cash. And Mm -hmm. for some, it's 65% in stocks and 35% in fixed income. But we don't want to stay away from bonds, even in this low rate environment. And the reason is inflation has remained low. This is just incredibly important, folks. And this goes back to your doctorate at Yale and competitive strategy. What is the competitive strategy for retirees in America besides just brute survival? It's brute survival. It's saving more. It's investing. Yeah, but the retirees can't save more. 
Well, you know, the young guys like John. Michael McKee is so young, he can save more. <laughs> I wish. Okay, we can't. What do retirees do? I mean, you are is uniquely qualified, and this is anybody that walks in the building. So it's it's a really tough environment, and this Thank is an you. environment where basically we're facing very low rates, and they're well below what people sort of planned on and expected. Yeah. So so and that's the tough situation. That means that many uh, people own a little more in stocks than they would have historically. And that's probably what you're thinking about, which is the yields right. on dividend-paying stocks, and especially those that are likely to increase right. their dividends in the future, are going to be a better place to get long-term returns than fixed income. But retirees also face market risk, and you don't want to be out of bonds because you want to be sure that you've got a less volatile portfolio, especially when you're taking right. withdrawals. So don't be out of fixed income, even though those rates are low because fixed income plays a really important role in your portfolio, especially in retirement. Kate Warren with us, with Edward Jones uh, as well. This is the, the arch battle. we got a ton of mail on this. Okay, you guys are so smart. What do you do? There's no coupon. Those CDs, remember, Mike, CDs were 9%. What do you do? A few you keep, years ago. keep working like we will. Yeah, I was keep working. Uh, Kate doesn't know the, uh, the yen, 110.05. All right, let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world of national headlines. Mike. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Republican Ted Cruz and Democrat Bernie Sanders are hoping to take their momentum into the delegate-rich New York primary. Last night, Cruz and Sanders won the Wisconsin primary. Frontrunners Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have strong ties to New York. It's Trump's turf, and Clinton served as a senator in New York. Sanders grew up in Brooklyn. Ferguson, Missouri, isn't sure if it will be able to pay for changes required in the settlement with the U.S. Department of Justice following the police shooting of Michael Brown. Yesterday, Ferguson voters approved a half-cent sales tax increase to help pay for those changes, but they rejected a property tax increase. Labor Secretary Tom Perez is calling in a win for investors. The Labor Department is unveiling a new rule that the Obama administration says will help make sure to protect the retirement accounts for Americans. Perez says the rule is designed to make sure that investment advisors put the interests of their clients ahead of their own. Consumers' best interests must now come before an advisor's financial interest. This is a huge win for the middle class. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. And, Michael, thanks so much. The yen moves. I've been trying to do everything I can today to not be hysterical about the yen. It was trading range 110.30. That script is over. The yen is 110.03, heading for a 109 handle. This morning, a dramatically stronger Japanese yen. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Bentley University's Prepared You Project. Are millennials ready for the workplace? The Prepared You Research Study has answers that might surprise you. Visit bentley.edu slash prepared to download an infographic overview. The Blo- Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. U.S. stocks little changed after the S&P 500 saw the steepest decline in almost a month. And as gains in crude oil boosted energy producers while investors weigh the recent equity rally. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P 500 is at 2044 again little changed. Dow Jones Industrial Average down two tenths percent or 36 points to 17,566. The Nasdaq's up two tenths percent or nine points to 4853. Ten-year Treasury down 5.30 seconds. The yield 1.73%. The yield on the two-year, 0.72%. NYMEX crude oil up 2.6% or 92 cents to 36.81 a barrel. COMEX gold is down half percent or $6.10 to 12.23.60 an ounce. The euro, $1.1389. The yen won 10.05. Pfizer and Allergan agreeing to terminate their $160 billion merger. Pfizer shares up 1.2% this morning and Allergan up 2.2%. And Monsanto posting its smallest fiscal second quarter profit and sales since 2011 as a global slump in agricultural commodities depressed demand. Its shares, they're down a tenth of a percent now. Down about 12 cents to 86.52 a share. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate that. The yen, stronger yen, moving from 110.40 down to a jaw-dropping 110.02. We are now on the 109 handle watch. To review, 2012, early 2012, 76 yen per dollar. We went out to 125 yen per dollar. And we've come back about 25, maybe 27%. This is a stronger yen. we got a long way to go to the center tendency, which is conveniently at exactly 100, to give you some perspective there on the yen move. Kate Warren with us, uh, with Edward Jones, where she has uh, had a tour of duty for a good – she's seen the St. Louis Cardinals when they were poor and weak, which was a few years ago. I mean, every year they do better than – the team from Boston. Uh, we won't talk about that. Uh, Kate, I want to go back to retirement here. Alicia Monell runs a shop at Boston College yes. about retirees way behind. There's a sweat. There's a panic. You see it every day. I see it every day. One solution is to buy dividend growth, to buy quality blue chips. One of the names Edward Jones trots out is Pepsi. Would you please explain to our listeners why they should have confidence in buying a nifty 50 madman like 22 multiple? These things are priced to perfection under any cycle. How can I own shares in quality blue chips right now? Well, certainly we think you can do that, uh, even though, yes, that Pepsi's near a 52-week high. And that's because it has a sustainable competitive advantage that Warren Buffett refers to as a wide moat. People continue to buy no. salty snacks. People continue to buy uh, carbonated and non-carbonated beverages. They've done a really good job of cutting costs. And those low commodity prices that we complain about it in other yeah. segments are actually helping Pepsi in terms of being able to grow its earnings over time. It has a dividend yield of around 2.5%, and we expect it's going to grow that dividend. It's going to grow at a high single digit. High single digits, so yeah. not huge returns, mm-hmm. but certainly solid returns and it's defensively positioned, and we think that's the most important part of it. And what is so um, – uh, there's a headline coming out, folks. Now, we've got a, a prick up. Michael McKee mentioned this earlier. Halliburton sued by the United States seeking to block the Baker Hughes deal. So some more M&A activity as we just spoke to the Elegant CEO. 
uh, as well. If you're just joining Pfizer Elegant, that blows up today as well. And uh, I believe Justice suing Halliburton uh, moments ago. Kate Warren with us with Edward Jones. I, I, again, getting back to price to perfection stocks, I get the moat idea, but we've seen this before where we've rationalized not buying value. Basically, we're buying growth, right, in a low nominal GDP environment. Uh, yes, it's earnings growth, not so much sales growth, because Pepsi, like every other consumer staple company, is struggling a little bit with yeah. sales growth. But what they've been able to do is still generate the earnings growth. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely correct that, you know, we'd be looking at a mix of companies that have done well and ones where the price has dropped a lot and the value is better. So always keep in mind that we don't yeah. want people just buying consumer staples, which have been sort of a defensive haven that many investors have run into where the prices are high. You always want to build a much better diversified portfolio than than just one stock well, or one I'll, sector, I'll go with which, diversity, of course, you know. As you know from the CFA, I mean, come on, it's sharp ratio 102, except I don't know. And, you know, the sophisticates like you and me don't know. And much more importantly, the non-sophisticates just get it which is we don't know where the risk-free return is. If we're if we're diversifying not by individuals, there's a whole debate, folks, whether you should diversify by individual stocks, by sectors, or by asset class. And we can, you know, that's a three-hour show right there. But we don't know, am I right, the risk-free rate? That's correct. In our original economics right now? That's correct. And in particular, we don't know because the things that we usually use as proxies for the risk-free rate, in other words, things that sort of tell us what it is, are being affected by monetary policy where those rates yeah. are a lot lower than we would otherwise expect. Is V. Bodie of Boston University, does he have a case? He's been way out front with Gary Schilling on a low-yield environment, low-nominal, low-real-yield environment. Is it just we got it? I mean, is for Edward G. Jones' clients – do you just got to get used to a 4% coupons living large? Uh, certainly, if inflation stays low, you're likely to be in a low return environment. I think the key to whether rates go up is whether inflation moves higher. And there's certainly no signs of underlying trends that push inflation mm-hmm. above uh, something around 2%. In other words, we continue to have lower commodity prices. We continue to have people in the labor force that keep no. wages from rising. So that says rates don't go back to what we th- all think of as normal levels anytime soon. To your work uh, with the White House years ago with President Reagan and to your uh, international work at the London School of Economics, does Kate Warren redefine globalization now? Do you do you say the globalization it's St. Louis, at Bullard in St. Louis, or Williams in San Francisco, or, <coughs> excuse me, I'm gasping over the yen, 110.06. Uh, the new globalization for America, is it the same old, same old, or is there something different this time? To me, there's something different, but let, let me let you answer it. Uh, I think that globalization is changing in terms of how fast information flows. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about that, then yes, but if you're talking about uh, the reluctance to trade, I think we're just in that part of the cycle. In other words, I'll the, go whole, with that. Okay. the whole notion of you know, whenever times get tough, everybody gets more protectionist. I think that's just the part of the cycle. I think we'll go back to seeing more opportunities there in the future. So I don't see that as changing permanently. But does a nation have a bimodal or trimodal economics where the elites look at unemployment claims is just one example of, of how terrific the economy is? Um, do the haves that are employed and are internationalist, are they working under a globalism that leaves behind so much of America? 
uh, I think it looks that way right now, but I think we have to think about where the opportunities are. Mm-hmm. And we are still seeing a lot of innovation, a lot of things that are mm-hmm. coming in the U.S. that give us growth in the future. But nobody's exactly sure mm-hmm. how that works. And people are quite worried that they don't employ a lot of Americans who don't have the skills to get into the higher wage and the more. That's part of that bimodal America. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sort of the skill people sets. without the skills. So how do you <clears throat> change that? It's certainly not by stopping globalization. It's by mm-hmm. figuring out how do we get people into the workforce right. and able to take advantage of the benefits yeah. over what, time. One, one final nerd question for you. Do you get advantage out of micro-analysis, weekly, monthly, daily, of GDP reports, the evil group at Macroeconomic Advisors in your St. Louis, they're good at this. Atlanta GDP now is all the rage. Is that a value, or would you rather see a stasis of just quarterly analysis? No, I think it's uh, really valuable to be looking at that kind of micro-analysis. It doesn't help investors very much. And the reason is that I think you need to take a much longer-term perspective. But does this help us understand better what's going on in the economy and how it fits together? I think the answer is yes. This has been great. Come back. I will come back. I just noticed Atlanta GDP is 0.4%. I think that's brand new. And maybe yesterday. And all of the numbers for first quarter are looking really flat. Do you extrapolate those out in the second, third, fourth quarter? No. In fact, I think we're going to continue to see the pattern we've seen over the last couple of years, which is quarterly GDP is incredibly bumpy. You have a strong quarter and a weak quarter. Why did that happen? Why is that? Uh, I think it's partly inventory swings, but it's also the uncertainty of what's going on. And we keep seeing uh, these offsetting moves where something's strong and then it weakens out. So every time yeah. we see a trend, it doesn't okay. last. It really well, peters out very quickly. Come back when the Cardinals lose three games in a row. <laughs> then I may I, never I be mean, back. I mean, you may never be back. Thank you for <laughs> I was letting say, us Tom, know I that. I want an invite where I can okay. come back more well, frequently. <laughs> come back when the Red Sox lose three games in a row. Kate Warren with us, with Edward Jones of St. Louis. In a week. If we get to Friday, we may not even get to Monday on that, John Tucker. Uh, Fabulous. Kate Warren with a really wonderful synthesis and perspective on what we're doing in America. We've got a mix on the screen, negative 28 on the Dow, uh, S&P a little bit of green on the screen. Just a churn out there with a little bit of corporate data as well, moving from Alaska Air and Virgin America over to Pfizer Allegan. Collapses Cynthia Coons with that great interview with Steph Roll, uh, the CEO of Allegan, and on to the Baker Hughes uh, Halliburton uh, announcement. You'll hear much of that on Bloomberg Radio through the day. We are produced, I mean produced, by YU Yen, uh, Ken Fellio, our global technical director from New York, coast to coast, and in St. Louis, Bloomberg Savannahs. <laughs> 